And the first thought that came to my mind was my teeth. My teeth hurt. I was tired of clenching down on my jaw, stressed, my life, my head was heavy, my soul, I just felt tired, tired of existing. Welcome to the LAMP Podcast, where we are shining a light on the stories of caregivers. Hey, welcome back to the LAMP Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Labrie, and whew, it's been a minute. I took a little break from the podcast, if you didn't notice. Originally, I had planned to do a break after episode 10, but there's been a lot going on obviously. And at work, even though there's still a pandemic, we're kind of ramping up services again, and more patients are coming to transplant. And that's because, you know, you can only wait so long with cancer, right? So I do bone marrow transplant specifically. So I've been working full time helping the transplant coordinators get ready. But that's not the only thing that's been going on. Obviously, we're in the middle of a massive movement for justice in this country. And I've also been in my spare time watching TV, learning, listening, reading, protesting, emailing, and trying to figure out how to be of service in this moment. If you don't already know this about me, I'm staunchly in support of Black Lives Matter, but I'm also white. So continuously learning about how to divest from systemic racism. Uh, One resource that I often refer to people if you are also interested in divesting from systemic racism is a podcast called Seen on Radio. Uh, They did a whole season that was called Seeing White. I'll leave it in the show notes, but it's an excellent podcast that really explores the origin of whiteness and what whiteness has been doing in this country. On this podcast, I keep my intros short, so you know I'm not going to talk for a long time on a topic, but this movement for Black Lives is extremely important, so I recommend you do check out some resources and figure out how you can help in this important time in our country. Now on to today's story. Today's story is from Arlene, who's a, a psych NP that I met at the end of 2018. We both went to an event and we clicked immediately. We didn't actually, either one of us didn't know anyone else at the event, but we just started talking and we had similar experiences in our lives that connected us. Hello, teen pregnancy. And we've kept in contact ever since. Like I said, she's a psych nurse practitioner and a fierce advocate for the mental health of nurses. This story of hers is a story of her experience with depression following multiple experiences of trauma. I should warn you, this story does feature a suicide attempt. Here's Arlene's story. Do not resuscitate. I covered my head and I heard some nurses talking. I think they were out at the nurse's station. How old do you think she is? 
one of them said. And, oh my God, I can't believe she drove off a cliff, a 400-foot cliff? And she doesn't have any injuries? What drugs was she on? None. Her urine drug toxicology screen said it was, it was negative. It was negative. They even said that she's a nurse here. Are they talking about me? I drove off a cliff and I fell 400 feet down the hill? Well, I don't know. I thought, I always thought that if someone fell 100 feet off a cliff, then survival would be questionable. But 400 feet, is that, isn't that death? Well, I'm not dead, am I? I looked around. I was at, I was in the emergency room at UCLA and I was pretty sure because that's where I worked. Um, I worked there for some time um, as a second job. Um, so I worked in the float, float pool, critical care float pool. And a lot of times I went to the ER for emergency room or critical care overflow. I think this was like 2012 to 2017 um, when I was released. <laughs> yeah, I was released because I never could stop crying long enough to go back to work after the death of my mom. I mean, I always meant to go back and pick up some shifts, but every time I tried to schedule myself, it just just felt too heavy and I couldn't do it. But wait a minute, I'm in the ER. I'm still here in the ER. They're cutting off my clothes? What? They're cutting off my clothes. These nurses are cutting off my clothes and I felt like I was being held in the water. So I'm immediately like I'm yelling stop what are you doing to me but they didn't even hear me but one of them said look ma'am if you don't shut it up we're gonna have to intubate you that's what they said that's what I thought they said at least um as my scrub pants the last of my scrub pants were being cut off I couldn't believe that it was really this was really happening to me and then I heard should we put a foley in and I yelled out no <laughs> and then they said ma'am look, you're really going to have to calm down or we're going to have to give you something for anxiety. I remember being so quiet then and I put my hand down and I held on to my private parts. And when I woke up again, I was in the back of the ER in a holding room. That was the holding room that they put people in when they were mentally unstable. There was an, a nurse there with me she told me that she was my sitter and she said she was there for my safety I looked around and I remembered feeling eerie because just maybe a little while ago I was sitting right out there hanging out during a night of work shift with uh, a new nurse I met her um, that night and we were talking about our aspirations, about our difficult partners, our uh, travels, recent travels, our children. Um, and she had the coolest, this coolest shade of pink lipstick, and you know I'm all about lipstick. And so we were talking, and it felt really mentally stimulating, and I enjoyed that conversation. But now I'm here on a gurney as a patient, a mentally ill patient. I covered my head back again because I wasn't really sure what I was supposed to do but I felt like I needed to hide 
I looked to my left and I looked on my arm and there was some letters written on my arm in black. What? Who wrote on my arm? Bold letters, D and R? What? Who wrote on my hand? And I got upset. And then I paused. That was my handwriting. And then I remembered I wrote it. I wrote it with a permanent marker that I used on my last shift. I wanted to give away my organs. It was part of my suicide plan. Um, I felt that it would be better put to good use because they weren't going to be wasted on me any longer. I started crying. <laughs> um, I think I started crying then and I didn't stop for four days. A little bit after that point, I remember one of the doctors came in, he was a resident, and he asked me a few questions. Um, he was really, really present. I remember him being really present and empathetic and he said, um, well, Arlene, um, your drug, your drug talks is negative. And I kept on being so confused. Like, why is that an issue? And he said, well, we had to rule out drug-induced psychosis. I said, psychosis? And he said, well, I came to a conclusion that after having, or you're going through so many emotionally stressful and traumatic life experiences, the neuroplasticity of your own psyche potentially collapsed. As we spoke and you answered my questions, I came to the conclusion that you're a first-generation American, you've had an abusive father, and now you are married to an abusive husband. You had a poverty, impoverished childhood, and you have three children under the age of 10. You have a lot of financial responsibilities. And you are a full-time nursing supervisor on a critical care cardiac unit, in addition to working a second job in critical care and at times in the emergency department. And then you told me you slept on the 10th. It's the 13th. That's greater than 48 hours. You're almost 30. So at this point, I'm pretty curious and, and interested in, hear, in hearing the fact that you've gone this long without having any adverse mental health issues. That's when he asked me if I could explain to him why I drove off the cliff. And the first thought that came to my mind was my teeth. My teeth hurt. I was tired of clenching down on my jaw, stressed, my life, my head was heavy, my soul, I just felt tired, tired of existing. When I woke up again, the social worker was there talking to me. She came in and she said that she had called my husband, quote unquote, is what I called it, my husband, because he was my in case of emergency. I didn't have another blood family relative to call. 
no any other no there was no other adult to miss me and i did wish i was invisible but i remember my husband on the tent informing me that he had slept with my best friend and i cried more when i woke up again he was there my ex-husband was there my current ex-husband he was still my husband at that time he said, "Well, why the fuck did you go down the side of the canyon? Did you want attention?" And I remember not saying anything to him, but I love that man. I used to love him so much. He said, "Well, who's going to pick up the kids? I have something to do, and I needed you to watch them for me. This is your day. This is going to be your day." Was it my day? I was pretty sure it wasn't. It wasn't. He said, "You are." the most pitiful excuse for a human and i can't even understand how you are their mother but that's just what it is listen this is the time for you to be smart for once in your life tell them you fell asleep so you can get the fuck out of here and i can go and do my business and you can keep the kids tonight and we can move past this you need to get with the fact that you always are lame and sad can't you don't you want better for yourself and if you feel that you're depressed which i don't think that you're depressed i think you're making this shit up because you're a sorry lame excuse of an individual then you need to deal with it on your own and that's our private family business now granted our children might be better off without you but for now i think they still need you so you need to get it fucking together and tell them that you fell asleep cried more. A few moments after that, the resident came back in again. He said, hello, you're still married legally. So uh, is it okay to discuss your care in front of your husband, Arlene? And I said, please. Well, after much consideration, I discussed your case with my attending. We've decided that you're going to be placed on a 72-hour hold and admitted into the neuroresnic psychiatric unit here at UCLA. My husband said, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. She just told me that she fell asleep and accidentally swerved. Um, she needs to be with her children, so can we go? The resident looked at my husband in perplexion, and he said, sir, even if she fell asleep and swerved, she has the letters D and are written all on her arm, on her chest, on her thighs, and on her neck. She's been here for almost 24 hours, and we were unable to get a hold of anyone. No prompt response to come to the hospital to identify her. And she informed me that she hasn't slept in over 48 hours, plus the fact that she has not stopped crying, nor has she gotten up to use the bathroom or eaten in this entire time that she's been here. Sir, she's clinically depressed. My husband looked at me and he rolled his eyes. He said, I don't know what that means. However, how much work do you think I can miss? I'm not missing any work for this. 
This is not going to be taking my time. And that's when security looked in. I didn't realize that his voice had elevated. Look, my ex-husband said, I'm not about to sit up in here in this emergency room with her so you can figure out what y'all need to do. And maybe I'll try to call back tomorrow and find out how long she has to stay. I have to go. Remember he he left and the resident looked at me and I looked at the resident and I cried again. That was the first moment of my awakening of who I really am. I stayed at the Neuro Resnick Hospital at UCLA for seven days um, because I was treated for suicidal ideations with a plan. I was diagnosed with severe depression, sleep deprivation, and trauma. The effect of trauma, a lifetime of trauma. I was started on an antidepressant and later, Right before my discharge, I remember sitting in my room in the ward and I saw one of my colleagues. Yes, a few of my colleagues actually. They were there in the ward with me. But the one colleague that wasn't really my colleague at, my, at that time, we went to high school together. She told me that she was uh, a resident studying psychiatry at USC. And she was doing one of her rotations there in adult psychiatry. She asked me what I was doing for work, and I told her I was a critical care nurse. And she asked me, have you ever thought about working in psychiatry? And I said, no. After I left, she she gave me a hug, and she said, it was good to see you, Eileen. And I've never seen her again since that day. But from that day, I went after, and I did my research, and I realized that I could become a psychiatric nurse practitioner because I actually did want to study psychiatry. And I realized that the reason why I wanted to study psychiatry because I wanted to figure out what was going on in my head, what was going on with me. How did I become this person that I don't even know? And not only that, I wanted to be a mom for my children who wasn't depressed. Or if I was depressed, I was depressed and okay. And then I wanted to make sure that no one ever or not have to go through what I do. And that's when I decided to become um, a psychiatric nurse practitioner. And a little while after that, I, I did. And I opened my, my organization, The Rose Yard, and I became Nurse Rose at The Rose Yard so that I could do what I knew I wanted to do, do resuscitate. It's so easy to, to wait till you need resuscitation before you do anything. But there is a way, there is a place, and there is a means that we could get to a time when before full exhaustion, before near death, to the point that resuscitation is the only option. I realized that my adverse life experiences were was the wake-up call after these experiences. That was the wake-up call that I needed. But even though it is what I needed, I also needed to share it. Because if I didn't share it, it would not be a wake-up call. I came to the conclusion that suicide is not the answer. And I chose not to ever die again. It felt as if 
I was given another chance of life. And it was a rebirth. Me being born again as an adult, but also as a child. I got to learn what I liked, what made me laugh, what I loved to, to read. I got a chance to study a career that I was passionate about, almost as if when I just started nursing. That's how passionate I became about psychology and psychiatry. And I ran with it. I recreated who I was and I became Nurse Rose at the Rose Yard. That's who I became. And that's when I realized the answer is individuality and creating the individual life that you can love, live to love. And that's my story. Thank you so much for listening to Arlene's story. I'm so lifted up by her spirit following everything she endured and inspired by her commitment to caring for herself. You can find her at her website, theroseyard.com. That's the Rose Yard with Y-A-R-D-E.com. And as always, thank you for listening to the Lamp Podcast. Please subscribe for new episodes and give us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at thelamp.podcast. Big thanks to Andrew Gorman, who continues to help me with sound, and to Tara Ellis for the song Be As A Lamp. Now more than ever, we need to be a lamp for each other. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Do they